Father, I do ask for those <clears throat> who walk in to this place, and this is a more difficult day. Um, for strained relationships or broken relationships, I pray for your healing in each of those situations. I pray that we would not give up, not give up on our fathers or not our fathers not give up on their children, but continue to pray and ask for you to do a work of softening. <clears throat> Father, I pray for the time we have together right now <clears throat> to look at your word together. I pray that uh, you'd open it up to us. We'd read it, see it, live it. Help us understand it in Christ's name. Amen. <clears throat> so we're starting a new series <clears throat> uh, called Fortune Cookie Faith, Beyond Fortune Cookie Faith. And the idea behind this series is <clears throat> if you've ever gone to a Chinese restaurant and you open the little fortune cookie and you read it, uh, you, you get a little statement that says something wise or sometimes very unwise, but you get a statement of some sort, and, and it's kind of a, a toss-away thing. Um, usually they're not, not, a, not a big deal, but sometimes we treat Bible verses like fortune cookies. That is, it's always good to memorize verses, but it's also good to understand what they mean. And sometimes we assume verses mean something that they don't actually mean. It's just because we know it, we quote it, they're well-known verses, but we don't read the verses before or after. Now, I am a big proponent of memorization. I love Bible memorization. I think that's a great thing. Um, some of you love Hobby Lobby because you hang verses in your houses. I, I know that, right? And I'm not saying down with all that, pull down the signs, you know. No, no. Um, the, the, the idea being, do we know what these verses mean? Do we understand them? So we're going to do a really well-known one today that we're going to get into in a moment. <clears throat> I'm going to take one more drink. That'll sound funny on the, on the podcast, by the way. I'm going to take one more drink. Yeah, then we go. <clears throat> <clears throat> he had just said, let the little children come to me, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And he said, nobody enters into the kingdom unless you come as a child, completely dependent, completely humble. Nobody gets in unless it's like taking their daddy's hand and saying, I I'm in, you know, you can lead me in. I, I, I want to be in the kingdom of God. I've got nothing to offer. I don't bring anything with me. It's just me. It's me and you, Dad. And that's how you get into the kingdom of God. But this guy... I don't know that this guy heard any of that because he had it all. He had an excellent government position. It paid well. He came from a wealthy family. He, he never knew what it was like to go hungry. He's dressed in fine robes. He's perfectly groomed. Never known want. Always had that steady work. Good provider for his family. Raised with a great religious education. Knows his Bible. You can look at this guy and say, you lived a charmed life. And you're just starting out. He's a young guy. But he probably didn't hear one thing that Jesus had just said about kids entering into the kingdom of God. Oh, he heard something all right. He heard something about entering the kingdom of God. And that sparked something in his mind that said, I do have a question about that. The kid thing doesn't do it for me. 
I've got a question. And so he approaches Jesus and he says, good teacher, what do I need to do to get eternal life? Now, so many things about that statement are going to be provocative in this whole conversation. He has no idea the can that he has just opened up and and now that he has to deal with, you know, because it's all out there now. Good teacher. Nobody calls a person a good rabbi. You don't do that. That's not the official form of addressing a teacher. You would just call them a rabbi. But he says good rabbi, agathos rabbi. Um, Agathos is the word for good. And so the response he gets is, why do you call me good? Nobody is good but God alone. But you know the commandments. Don't lie. Don't murder. Don't commit adultery. Honor your father and mother. You do those, and there's eternal life for you. Now, if he was really astute, if he was really in that, you know, and thinking about what he had just heard, he would have realized he was just corrected for his his greeting. That he didn't really understand the word good. And what does good actually mean? Because what he's asking is, is there a standard of goodness that I can achieve to go to heaven? How good is good enough? And there was also a common thought back then that if you kept the whole law and then did something extraordinarily good, something that catapulted you into the realm of a spiritual superhero, you know, you did something incredible, that would put you on another level and you would have eternal life. And so he's saying, I just want to know, what do I have to do? What good thing do I have to do to be good enough? And Jesus quotes commandment number five, commandment number six, seven, eight, and nine. And says, if you will do commandment five through nine, you will have life. Now, this has made people scratch their heads forever because the question being, what happened to commandments number one through four? The ones that deal with God, don't take God's name in vain, worship the Lord your God, don't have any idols. Like, aren't those like the most important? Wouldn't Jesus say the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength? Why did you leave the first four out? For that matter, why did you not leave, why did you quote, why didn't you quote commandment number 10? Do not covet. Coveting is out there. You know, co- coveting is not just, just not in there. And coveting, you could argue, is what it's the, what's at the heart of greed, right? I want what you have. I want to be rich. And this guy has it all. So you think he would have thought to himself, huh, you didn't quote commandment 10. I wonder what that means. And you didn't quote commandments 1 through 4. Maybe coveting, maybe my greed for money is somehow connected to my love for God. Maybe I can't separate those two things. Maybe I'm not good enough. But the reality is, if anybody is perfect, they could earn heaven, right? I mean, if you were absolutely sinless, like Jesus, you would be deserving of life. But Jesus' point is, why do you call me good? Nobody's good but God alone. He's the only truly, perfectly good being. And I think there's a little bit of a a hint in there like, 
do you really think I'm good? Because if you do, maybe you would see me as Messiah. Maybe you'd see me as God. If you really thought I was good. But Jesus, but the man says, again, not being childlike, not being dependent, not taking dad's hand. He says, I've kept all these commands since I was a kid. I'm perfect. But is but, but I still feel like I'm missing something. There's still something in his heart that says, even though I'm wealthy, I have a great job, I've got a good family, I'm a young guy starting out, even though everything is right in my life, I still feel like there's something wrong. Can you give me that one thing that will, that will put me over the top? And Jesus says, yeah. Sell everything you have. Everything. You go back home and, and, and you pull out your, your dishes, you pull out your, 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 your colognes, you pull out your, your food, you, you get your rich robes together. I want you to gather all that stuff out and have a garage sale, you know? Sell it all. And then I want you to take the proceeds of your garage sale and I want you to go and I want you to give it to the poor. And then come follow me. Now, normally, we only hear the garage sale part, you know? Sell it all. And we say, do I have to do that? But I don't think that's the point. I don't think the point of the command is sell everything. I think the point is follow me. It's the second command. Follow me. That's the one we all have to do. That's the one Jesus asked of all of us. But in order to follow for that man, it meant he had to sell it all. That's what Jesus required of him to take the first steps to follow. And as you know, the man walked away sad. It says because he had great wealth. Peter's picking up on this and going, wait a minute, wait, 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 wait. I'm connecting the dots here. And I left home. I left a good paying job. Well, okay, okay paying job. And I followed you. Doesn't that mean I get something? And Jesus is like, well, yeah, yeah, you will. You will. But oh, how hard it is for the rich man to enter the kingdom of God. I want to give you two connections this morning to the verse we're going to read out of that story. Two connections. Uh, I'm going to come back to these connections at the very end, and they're also going to become our applications. So stay with me on this. Connection number one. The rich young man, or sometimes called the rich young ruler, did not understand the meaning of good. Do we? Do we get that? Hopefully by the end of today, you will understand the meaning of good. He calls Jesus good teacher, but he can't possibly mean perfectly good because he doesn't believe in Jesus like that. And second connection is this. He didn't want Jesus to ask him to sacrifice. He did not want Jesus to ask him to give up all of his wealth. Don't ask me for that. And I guess if it was you or me, if the rich young man was standing in front of me and he was talking about receiving Christ as his Savior, and, 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 and then we were told him, you know, give up everything, you know, your money is your idol, your money's your God, you can't serve God in money, clearly, so you've got to sell it all and follow Jesus. And as he walked away sad, maybe there was a tear coming down his face, all, all of my compassion would be going, and I'd be like, wait, 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 hold on, hold on. There's this guy Zacchaeus, he didn't have to sell everything. So maybe you don't either. Maybe we can go 50-50, right? Maybe that's okay. But, but Jesus doesn't do that. He just lets the guy 
go. He wasn't willing to sacrifice everything to follow Christ. Can you hold those two connections in your brain? Because I'm going to come back to them at the end. And hopefully we'll make some good connections by the end of the sermon. Would you turn in your Bibles to Romans 8? Someone stole my Bible up here. Thank you. Romans chapter 8. This is one of the most famous, probably, verses, especially in going through difficulty. Romans 8.28. Can we pull that on the screen? It goes like this. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to His purpose. What does that mean? Sometimes it's a verse that's quoted to people that are going through hardship. Well, you know, you lost this person, but all things work together for good. A financial disaster came over your family, but you know, all things work together for good. And at that point, the person listening to you say that is thinking, the only thing good that can happen right now is me punching you on the nose. I'd punch you on the nose and say, let's have God work that for the good. Could teach you a lesson. Do we know what good is? Do you understand this verse? Well, let me give, let me give a few words of context. Let me back up a little bit in Romans 8. And I'll call your attention to a few verses as we go. Let's, number one, check out the previous context. If you're following along here. Let's check out the previous context. Romans 8 is about life in the Spirit. I'll show you chapter 8, verse 14. Those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. All of chapter 8 is about What if I'm being led by the Spirit instead of my flesh? What if I'm listening to God instead of listening to my own selfish heart? It's about life in the Spirit. How the Holy Spirit leads you and guides you and helps you. That's Romans 8. Uh, Romans 8, if you would also look at verse 18. Chapter 8, verse 18. Paul says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. We sang that today, by the way. Um, I think the last song talked about the glory of Christ um, being revealed. I consider our present sufferings are not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed in us. So, so Romans 8 is about suffering. It's about suffering. Difficulties, trials, persecution, bad things that happen to you, loss. All those things. It's about those things. It's suffering. And what Paul is saying in Romans 8 is, if you take all of your suffering and compare it with the glory you're going to get in heaven, the treasures of heaven, the glory of a new body, living with Jesus forever, if you just take those two things and compare them, the suffering looks small. Even a lifetime of suffering looks small compared to an eternity of glory. I mean, just the time thing alone should make you pause, you know. You could suffer for 70, 80 years, 90 years, who knows. But 90 years into eternity and you're just starting. You're just like a kid. You're just getting going, right? 
an eternity of glory. That's just the time thing. Think about where you're going to live, what you're going to see, what you're going to do, who you're going to be with forever and ever and ever. And he's like, you take the worst suffering compared to the greatest glory, and it looks small. Not from our perspective, though. I mean, let's just be real. He also says in Romans 8, all of creation groans. It's okay to groan. It's okay to lament. It's okay to see things from an earthly, time-based perspective. Like, years of suffering is not cool. It's not good. That's okay, too. It's okay to groan. That's Romans 8. One more thing about Romans 8. It's 8.26. Romans 8.26 says this. In the same way the Spirit helps us in our weakness, we don't know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. Sometimes you're going through rough stuff and you're like, I don't know what to pray. What am I supposed to pray? Am I supposed to pray for healing? Am I supposed to pray for perseverance? Am I supposed to pray for... I, I, I don't know exactly what I'm... I'm so confused by the suffering and the difficulty of my life. I have no idea. And the Spirit says, but I know, and I will pray for you. I will pray for you according to God's perfect will. And then with that being said, we get to Romans 8, 28. All things work together for good for those that love God and are called according to His purpose. All things work together for good. All things has to refer to suffering. I mean, yeah, you, you could say it refers to good stuff as well. I think in the context of Romans 8, Paul is thinking suffering, suffering, suffering. He's not thinking about the mountaintops. He's thinking about the valleys. He's saying all those valleys, all those trials, all those things, God works it for the good. He doesn't cause them, right? We're not, we're not, we're not saying he has done evil to you, that he has sinned against you. He doesn't do evil. He doesn't sin. Satan does those things. But he has permitted them. He has allowed them into your life. For the good. So that begs the question, what's good about it? That's where you're going to get the punch on the nose. What's so good about all these things that are going wrong in my life? Well, let me talk about good for a second. Do we know what good is? Or are we like the rich young man and we just don't, we haven't made those connections yet? There's two words in Greek for good. I'll give you the one that's not in Romans 8, 28 first. First word for good is kalos. Kalos. And kalos means good on the outside. Beautiful good. Good on the outside. Now, kalos is not a bad word. It's not, it's not a bad good. D don't get me wrong. When I first read kalos, I used to think, well, good on the outside must mean like fake. Like hypocritical. Like you look really good. You dress really nice. You know, but that's not what it means. It doesn't mean good on... It, Pharisees are not kalos, right? That's not how it works. It's not hypocrisy. Kalos is kind of like um, the Boy Scouts earning their merit badges. You know, how many Boy Scouts do we have in here? Anybody? Oh, that was a really bad example. Nobody? Okay. There, one. Okay, thank you. Thank you. Um, it's like the Boy Scouts earning the badges, right? Because they've done good deeds. They've done these things that you're supposed to do, and in doing them, those good things... They get a badge, and they get to wear the badge, 
And that's an outside indicator of what's going on on the inside. That they committed themselves to this process. That they did these things. Kalos is like, you look good because you are good. And I can tell. It's your reputation. It's what I know about you. It's a beautiful good. You look good. Um, it's, like, it's, like, it's like graduating. And, and if you graduate with honors, try this one out. Maybe this is better than the Boy Scouts. This is my second example. Maybe this is better. You know how some people graduate and they get to wear those honor cords, you know? Or maybe they wear a medal or something. Chrissy's going, shh. She's like, she knows I'm go where I'm going with this. But they wear the cords, right? And that's saying, you studied, you worked hard, you passed the test, you got this level of grades, and now you're walking, and then your dad walks up to you and says, I'm so proud of you, you know? And he sees the cords, right? He can see what you earned. It's good on the outside. That is not the good that Paul talks about in Romans 8.28. His good is called agathos. We'll put up agathos. Agathos is good on the inside. Now, 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 that doesn't mean kalos is not good on the inside. That's not what it means. Agathos so focuses on what's going on inside of you. The emphasis is on what your character is, your virtue, your morals, what makes you you doesn't matter what the outside looks like. The focus is on the inside. It's, and the other thing about it is, it's not a beautiful good. It's a beneficial good. It benefits you. You're growing. You're getting better. You're becoming something greater than you were before. Beneficial good. That's the word. Do you want to see Paul use both goods in the same sentence? I bet. Maybe. Okay. All right. First Timothy. Let's bring it up. Here we go. Um, see if you can spot both goods as we read this. Um, he's talking about widows being enrolled um, for, for this honorable position in the church. Uh, Let a widow be enrolled if she is not less than 60 years of age, having been the wife of one husband, and having a reputation for good works. If she has brought up children, has shown hospitality, has washed the feet of the saints, has cared for the afflicted, and has devoted herself to every good work. You see the two goods? Which one's Kalos? Which one's Agathos? Pop quiz. All right. The first good, having a reputation for good works, which one's that? Kalos, right? It's got to be because it's the reputation. Have you seen her good works? Have you seen what she does? Do people know this person and what she's been doing? It's a reputation. It's on the outside. But then Paul uses Agathos saying she's devoted herself to every good work. Even the stuff you haven't seen. The secret things. Her giving. Her loving. Her phone calls. Her, her, her cards. The things nobody else knows about but the person that received the good work. That stuff. It's good on the inside. It's good that benefits other people. It's a beneficial good. And this is the good that's in Romans 8.28. It's good on the inside. It's beneficial good. So, with that in mind, number three, number three is, let's check out the following verses to see what good refers to. Would you look at the next couple of verses? Uh, chapter 8, we're in verse uh, 29. All right, we've been called according to God's purpose, right? Verse 29. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his Son 
that he might be firstborn among many brothers. Those he predestined, he called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. Here's the point. In verse 29, you've been predestined to be conformed to the likeness of Jesus. The good that God is doing, this is A then, good means becoming more like Jesus. That's the good. God's taking all the junk and the garbage and the mud and the dirt, and he's saying, I'm going to use that to make you like Jesus. I'm using it to deepen your character, your morality, your love, your compassion, your mercy, your truth-centeredness. He's using all of the garbage for something good in your life. But that's not all. If you look at verse 30, those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. Um, some people get uh, some people get a little bit uh, out of sorts with the predestined word. What do we do with predestined? God chose you. Uh, want to hear my favorite way of explaining predestination? You're going to hear it anyway. Sorry. Okay. Um, predestination. It's like you're. It's like you're walking. I don't, I don't know who said this, by the way. I have no idea who said this originally. It wasn't me. Um, it's like you're walking through a gate into the kingdom of God. And on the top of the gate, it says, All who will, enter. Please enter. All who will, please enter. In other words, if you want to come in, come on in the gate. Anybody. Whosoever believes on him, right? John 3.16. And once you enter the gate, and you're now in the kingdom of God and you're saved, you can turn around and you can look at the gate. At the top of the gate, it says, chosen before the foundation of the world. And you're like, oh my goodness. I'm only in here because God chose me. You know? But you didn't see that as you went in. It was a free will choice, right? I don't know. That's always, that, that helps me to think about predestination. Now, if God predestined you, it means he called you. Those he called, he also justified. That means he declared you not guilty of your sin. And those he justified, he also glorified. Glorified looks forward to heaven. When you receive your new body, you get to be with Jesus and you get all the rewards. You're glorified. Now, you know what the great thing is about all those words, those big words, predestined, called, justified, glorified. The awesome thing about each one of those words is they're all past tense. They're all past tense. How do you describe a future act of being glorified in the past tense? Think about that. As sure as you are that you're going to go to work tomorrow, can you be 100% sure? As sure as you are that you're going to go on this vacation and get on that airplane on that date, can you be 100% sure you're going to do that? None of us can be. But God can say something like this. I, call, I predestined you. I called you. I justified you. And you better believe you're glorified. I already got the plan. I already know what it's going to be like for you with me in heaven. I already got the whole deal. It's all done. Your spot's waiting. You're seated with Christ. Done deal. Past tense. And I say all that to say, isn't it incredible that that means your difficulties, your trials, your losses, your shortcomings, your weaknesses, that those things are taking you to glory. And that without those things, you're not heading to glory. 
I mean, I mean, do, do you see the connection here? I'm working out all those things for your good. The good meaning you're conforming to Christ and you're eventually ending up in heaven. And I'm using the garbage to get you there. How, how can God use suffering to eventually save me and glorify me and assure that it's definitely going to happen? He just does. I don't know how he does it. He's God. He does. So let's look at the verse one more time with fresh eyes. One more time. We know, and we know, and, and it doesn't say, and we feel, because we don't always feel this, and we know, we're convicted, that for those who love God, and that means everybody that's a believer in Christ, it doesn't depend on how much you love God today, right? Because nothing shall separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. That's the end of Romans 8, right? Nothing can separate you from God's love. So this means everybody who's a believer is part of those that love God. It doesn't depend on the intensity of your love this morning. All things work together for good, meaning conforming to Christ for your benefit, acting like Him, thinking like Him, talking more like Him. It's your good. It's going to end up giving you glory for those that are called according to His purpose. How does God work something good out of something tragic? Only He can. And all of those things are taking you to glory. All of your weaknesses and your suffering is taking you to glory. And you're not going to get there without those things. You're not going to get there without them. I know some of you wish you could. And sometimes God heals and sometimes he restores and sometimes he gives a release from the suffering. And praise God. That's like a taste of heaven early, right? So here's my end. Back to the rich young ruler. I told you our applications would be the same ones I started with. What are the two things I said at the beginning? Uh, rich young ruler did not know what good means. And number two, Jesus, don't ask me to sacrifice. I don't want to sacrifice. I don't want to give it up, all, all of it. Only God is good. Only God is perfectly good. And only a perfectly good God could have a good plan for you in suffering. Only he could do that. There's only one who is good. And that's what Jesus, who Jesus says is God. So number one, let me ask you these two questions. And then we'll close. Do you understand what is agathos for you? Do you know what's good for you? I'm not saying the suffering is good. It's bad. It's terrible. It's tragic. It makes you groan. That's Romans 8. But do you know it's working good in you? Do you understand what agathos is? And when you quote Romans 8, 28, what it means? You're becoming more like your Savior in all of His glory. That's what's agathos for you. And secondly, can you accept the suffering that Jesus asks of you? The rich young man said, no, don't ask me to give up all my wealth. I won't do it. I can't do it. And it saddened him. Can you accept... When Jesus takes you by the hand and walks you in the way of suffering, when your Father takes your hand and walks you into the valley of the shadow of death, will you go there with Him? Or will you walk away sad because you just can't take that kind of God that would use suffering for your good? I didn't say He caused it. He uses it. He allows it. 
Can you accept the suffering that Jesus asks you to walk through? Or would you walk away from him? I pray that you would not. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes now? If you are here and you don't know Jesus' love for you, his forgiveness of your sins, and you would like to pray to receive him today, I invite you to pray something like this in your own heart. Lord Jesus, I want to follow you. I don't want anything to stop me from coming to you this morning. I am the sinner. But I ask that you would forgive me, cleanse me, and help me follow you all the rest of my life. I don't want to walk out of this room sad this morning like the rich young man. I want to walk out of here with joy. Please save me. In Jesus' name.